0: talk about the five things I learned about God from being a mother. The five things I learned about God from being a mother. You know, in Genesis 1, verse 27, when God said, let us, this is the Trinity speaking, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, what did he then do? He created them as male and female, For humans to be representatives, proper representatives of God, there has to be male and female because males and females each represent different aspects of God's character. And to the degree that fathers teach us about God, to the same degree mothers teach us about God, to the exact same degree. So let's... Learn a bit of God's character today from being a mother. If you've had a mother, and I suspect most of you have, or if you've been a mother, you may know something of the character of God. So five things I learned about God from being a mother. We watched a movie recently. I think it came out in 2012. It's called. It's a beautiful independent movie. Might not be for everyone. You have to really like this type of movie. But uh, it won some awards. But it's it's an obscure kind of You may not have heard of it. It's called Beasts of the Southern Wild. And it's based on a true story or based on geographical truth. It's about this sinking island off the coast of of, uh, New Orleans. There's actually an island there that is sinking. And and there's a levee that separates this island from New Orleans. And so the people there live in extreme, extreme filth and poverty. But they refuse to leave because that's their home. So in this movie, it's fictionalized, but it's based on, on real life and the way, thing, the way the conditions actually are there. In fact, the producer stayed there and lived there for a while so he could get a real feel of what it's like to live there. But in this movie, it stars this, this little girl. She's about five or six, and she's being raised by her father. And he's a good dad. He's a decent dad. He takes good care of her. He he has this makeshift grill, and he he'll get, you know he'll take a chicken and grill it on the chicken, and and they eat whatever they can find, and they live in, in just the most horrendous poverty you can imagine. This just this shack, this dilapidated shack, and everybody lives that way, and they're just really living off the land. They don't really have regular jobs. They they live off. Um, you know, the, the crabs and the shrimp that they catch there in the water. And it's such a sad life, except at least this little girl has her dad to take care of her. And he's teaching her what a good father would. He's teaching her to be strong and to protect herself and look out for herself. And, um, but several times throughout the movie, this little girl, for some reason, her mother's missing, And we never really understand what happened to the mother. Did she die? Did she take off and leave? We don't really know, but several times throughout the movie, this little girl wanders away from her dad, and she goes out and she looks out on the horizon over the gulf there, and she cries out at the top of her lungs, Mama! Mama! And she's hoping, hoping against hope that somewhere out there, Is her mother. And it it shows so beautifully how much a mother is needed and not just a father because there's something you can see that she's missing from not having a mother in this movie. And it really speaks to this whole idea that God created us in his image and therefore he had to create us as male and female. We need mothers and fathers to understand the heart of God. So five things I learned about God from being a mother. Number one, I learned right away that God loves and wanted every child he created. You know, I didn't think once upon a time that I wanted to be a mother. I didn't think I wanted children, and I wrote about it. And my New York York Times worst seller. You can read about it on the table back there. There's a couple copies. But the minute I held each of my children in my arms, I was absolutely overwhelmed with this mother nurture, this mother affection, just completely undone beside myself. Sobbing, whole sobbing, snotty mess. Hi, honey. I'll never forget that. Why is that? I got that from God. That's his heart. God did plan for (laughs) every single child that was conceived. No matter the circumstances of that child's conception, no no matter how that child came about, God wanted and loves every child he created. Perhaps you're familiar with David's words from Psalm 139, starting in verse 14. Psalm 139, 14. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Does your soul know That you are a marvelous work of God? Does your soul know that? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. That's amazing. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Every mother knows how precious are her thoughts toward each of her children. Every every mother understands that. How much more are God's thoughts toward you? Very precious, very weighty, greater than the sand, the number of the grains of sand on the seashore. So point number one, God loves, loves, and wanted every child he created. Number two, and I don't know why I see that, uh, hmm, this did not repopulate. So I'm going to go on memory. Number two, God longs to comfort his children. He loves to and longs to nurture and comfort his children. Every mother understands that Feeling that draw toward to comfort your child no matter their age, no matter how old they get. You see your child in need. You see your child struggling and hurting. Yes, even as a result of their own stupidity. You have this innate desire, this longing, this fierce need to comfort your child. We get that from the heart of God. That's how we can know what God is like. He loves to comfort his children. I remember when Sarah was little, (laughs) if she'd get a boo-boo and cry and fall and scrape her knee or whatever, I'd say, here, you want me to kiss it and make it better? And she'd be crying, you know, all dramatic, all emotional, all emotions, tears, sobs. (laughs) I'd say, come on, I'll kiss it and make it better. So I'd give her a kiss, and she'd instantly, instantly stop. It was like a switch. She'd instantly stop, and every time she'd say, Hmm, that's better. (laughs) Where did we get that love to comfort? We get it from the heart of God. He loves to comfort his hurting children. And I can tell you, if you haven't experienced it for yourself, The Holy Spirit is a great comforter. He's a very present help in time of trouble, it says in the Psalms. A very present help. In time of trouble. And I promise you, if you will run to him in those moments when you're overwhelmed, if you will run to him for comfort, he will kiss it and make it better. He will hold you. You will feel his presence. If you practice the presence of God, if you practice the presence of God, you have to go to him. He will comfort you in such a way that suddenly you will realize, huh, that's better. I had a day like that this past week. A terrible, no good, very bad day. And I knew all I had was the Lord to comfort me. I went to the scriptures, and you know where I go to in those moments? I went to the Psalms. And I just let them wash over me, and I meditated on them. The Lord is my shield, my strength, my exceeding great reward, my refuge. And I'm telling you, after just a little while of soaking in that, It was like the kiss of God, and I knew, hmm, that's better. God loves to comfort his children. Number three, God is committed to your growth. He is committed to your growth. I'm sure there are mothers out there who might consciously think, you know, I really don't care if my child ever grows up. They're living in my basement at age 30 and mooching off me, not paying a dime. That's fine. They're still wearing diapers when they're, <laughs> you know, way past the time that they should be. Eh, I don't know very mothers, many mothers who consciously think that way. A good mother is committed to her child's growth, committed, and will do the hard and exhausting work of seeing that child through to independence. God is like that too. That's from the mother heart of God, the mother, the nurturing nature of God who is spirit with a capital S. But we get that from God. He is committed to your growth as a good mother would be. And it is hard, and we have to be very patient and very long-suffering. And the Bible speaks of God's long-suffering and his patience toward us. Thank the Lord he is patient and long-suffering while we grow. But why does he stick with it? Why does he stay in? Because he's committed to our growth. That is very good news. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful promise. You ever look at yourself and think, I'm not growing too much. It's one step forward, two steps back. I'm not sure I'm ever going to make it. I'm never going to conquer this never going to get anywhere, never going to be the person God wants me to be. He is absolutely committed to your growth, and we have this promise that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Until the day that Jesus Christ returns, he's going to be working and committed to your spiritual growth because he wants you to be spiritually mature, so that you can then commit yourself to the growth of growth of others that he's put in your life but it takes spiritual maturity to be patient and long suffering as god is toward us toward the people that he's placed in our life for their personal growth malachi 3:3 says this he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver he will purify the sons of Levi. This is Sons of Levi is simply, uh, it, it speaks of God's own, his very own, those that he has he, he called to spiritual maturity. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And so we see this picture of God tending the flame under you And he knows exactly when to turn up the heat just enough to purge away that dross to make you that sparkling, beautiful, shiny piece of silver or gold. He doesn't leave. He doesn't walk away and say, you're on your own. I've given up. I'm done with you. Oh, no, he sits. He sits. He's not even standing. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver because he is committed to to your growth. I've heard before that someone asked a silversmith, how do you know when it's when it's the silver is finally purified? And they said when you can look at it and see a reflection in it. When people can look at you and see a reflection of God in your character, that's when you've been refined and purified and God is committed to your growth in the same way that a good mother is committed for the long haul to the growth of her children. Number four, God is more sad than mad when we sin. Now, I'm going to get to the wrath of God that's coming. So if you're like desperate to hear about how angry God is, hold on, I'll get there. But number four, he is more sad than mad when we sin. Every good mother, every good mother understands this. Every good mother understands this. I've said to my kids before, just because they're normal kids, like all of us, like all of us, I've said, I want you to understand, I am more grieved and heartbroken when you make bad choices than angry. Yes, I may feel anger because I'm a human being, and I'm a mother. (laughs) But ultimately, a good mother feels grief and is brokenhearted over the poor choices of her children more than anger. You know, there was one time where, you know, my kids or one of them or one or more of them, you know, just made a bad choice like we've all done, like all kids do. And I was angry, (laughs) and it showed. But God convicted me. You are not modeling my nurturing, comforting, heart that's committed to your growth you're not modeling that right now to your children so I had to go back and say I'm sorry I was angry and that was wrong I want you to know I'm so much more broken hearted I am angry a good mother is more sad than mad when her children make mistakes and God is more grieved and broken hearted over our sin, then he is angry. It's interesting to me, when Jesus looked over at the city of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37, he said these words. You've probably heard them before, but there's this one part we really don't think about. I'll read this verse, Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Can you imagine Jesus? Just picture him. He's looking out over the city, grieved. This is, this is, a God with a broken heart, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Does that sound like a mother? But you we're not willing. And what's fascinating to me is who is he's addressing? Go back to the beginning of that. He's talking to those who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. Killed and stoned. And what is his response to that, to these murderers? What's his response? It's the voice of a broken heart. How often I wanted to gather you, yes, even you, As a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing, a good mother, a good mother's heart wants to be a safe place for her children. A good mother is available and longs to gather her children together under her wings to protect them and give them a safe place of belonging and is absolutely brokenhearted when those little chicks wander too far away and are not able to gather under those wings of safety. God is more sad than mad when we sin. And you can't look at the the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I know you're probably most of you are familiar with that story. It's a story about a father, but it also portrays a mother's heart as well, a good mother. Just briefly, that's a whole other sermon in itself, but very briefly, if you know the story, the son, he has the audacity to ask for his father's inheritance while his dad is still alive. Who does that? Who does that? And not only that, but the dad gives it to him. Who does that? What kind of parent does that? The dad gives him his inheritance knowing he's going to blow it. Throw it all away, every last dime. The dad gives it to him and lets him go. He doesn't chase him. He doesn't check in on him. He doesn't put a GPS tracker under his car. He doesn't, you know, check his, open his mail. He doesn't snoop around. He doesn't, he doesn't follow him and spy on him. He stays home and lets the child go and squander his inheritance. Finally, that son hits rock bottom, as some of us have to do before we finally realize God has such a good parent's heart, and he's worth coming back to. Finally, that ridiculous, spoiled child hits rock bottom and realizes how good he had it at home. You can read about this in uh, Luke 15, read it later on. This guy comes back home, and he's walking back home, and he's got this plan. I'm going to beg Dad if I can at least be a slave in his house because I really messed up royally. He's never going to let me be his son again. And he's walking home, and there is his dad waiting at the end of the driveway, and his dad sees him, picks up his robes and in a very undignified manner. Men didn't run in those days. It was too undignified. He picks up his robes, and he runs toward his son with his arms outstretched and he ignores his son's plea to be a, a servant it's as though he doesn't even hear him he calls everyone throw a party bring out the best rogue in a ring my son has come home now you tell me is that the heart of a parent who is more sad or mad that his son has left home Has he spent all that entire time being seething angry or being absolutely devastated and brokenhearted and crushed beyond description? A good mother is brokenhearted and grieves more so than being angry when her child rebels, and it's the same with God. His heart breaks over our sin, and you can ultimately look at the cross and see a God who literally dies of a broken heart on Calvary. He's not hanging up there on the cross, angry and vengeful and seething with rage because he's got to die for our bad choices. No, you look at Calvary, and there's a God dying and bleeding of a broken heart bearing the weight of our sin on his chest. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. God is one who grieves very easily at our sin. Ezekiel 6, 9, God spoke through Ezekiel, and he says, those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried away captive, because I was crushed, crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed and all their abominations. They will loathe themselves for but I was crushed by their adulterous heart. Number five, God's wrath is the mama bear claws. <laughs> God's wrath is his anger at the sin that destroys us. Yes, God is a God of wrath, but why is that? First of all, we need to understand the reason why this concept bothers people so much is we equate God's wrath with human wrath. It's not the same. Human wrath is arbitrary, it's capricious, it's vengeful just for the sake of being vengeful. It's punitive, it's pointless, it's destructive, it's damaging. When you see the word wrath in Scripture, Most often it refers to warnings that we be not people of wrath and vengeance and anger. But the Bible does speak of God's wrath, and God's wrath is very different because he is God. God's wrath is the same kind of wrath that a mother feels when something is coming against her child. You Show me a mother who is not very loving, I'll show you a mother who never gets angry at what might hurt or destroy her child. For love to be love, love must involve wrath. So God's wrath is against our own sin when it is damaging to our lives. When we sin against our own selves, that's when God's wrath comes into play. It says in Psalm 106, I don't know the verse, but somewhere in Psalm 106, it speaks of how the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people. Why? Why would God's wrath be kindled against his people? Because over and over, many, many times in Scripture, in the Old Testament, God warned his people... Don't mingle with the pagan nations. Don't mix with them. Don't hang out with them. You will learn their ways, and their ways will destroy you. And what did God's people do? Time and time again, they ignored God's law. They mingled with the pagan nations, learned their ways, worshiped their idols, and they ended up over and over sacrificing their own children on an altar of fire to their demon god, Moloch. Was God angry? Yeah, he was angry. They were destroying their own children. (laughs) Psalm 106 talks about the land being polluted with the bloodshed of their children. Of course, nothing's changed. And the wrath of God does abide on the sin that we allow to destroy us and each other. The love of God... This is great, a great quote by Peter Kreeft. He says, the love of God is no human projection, but the wrath of God is. In other words, humans can't, we cannot project the love of God because we're too human. We can't perfectly model it, right? But the wrath of God is. In fact, what we call the wrath of God is really the love of God experienced by a fool. I'll say that again. What we call the wrath of God is really the love of God experienced by a fool. In other words, God loves us so much that when we act foolish and make foolish choices, his, his wrath that burns against that is coming from a heart of love that says, don't destroy yourself. The wrath of God is really the love of God experienced By a fool. God's wrath, though, is also seen against that of other sins against us. Maybe you heard about the mother in Los Angeles County last summer, last August. It was in the news. This mother's in her house, and she hears a commotion outside. And she looks, and there's a mountain lion in her yard attacking her five-year-old son. Does the mother love that son? Oh, yes. Does the fact that she is an all-loving mother mean that she stays inside and sits while the lion devours her son? No, she is full of wrath because she is full of love. This mother ran outside and with her bare hands beat that thing off of her son and saved his life. Full of wrath. God's wrath is a result of his love for you. And his hatred of anything that might destroy you. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Theologian Miroslav Wolf. Reginald John Campbell said The wrath of God is a figure of speech to denote God's unchanging opposition to sin, it is his righteous love. Operating to destroy evil. That's why a few times in Scripture you see this phrase, righteous judgment, used to describe God's wrath. It's not like human wrath. It is righteous judgment. Someday every single person, every single person will look at God and all the things he has allowed and say, God is good and his judgments were righteous and true. How does God feel about those who trouble you, human or non-human forces? 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says, It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That was Paul writing to the persecuted Thessalonians. And finally, number six, a good mother loves sacrificially, and so does God. And a good mother models that from the heart of God. A good mother loves sacrificially and serves willingly, loves sacrificially and serves willingly. Every good mother knows that if you're sitting there at the table, and there's a plate of cookies, and there's only one left, and there's you and your child, every good mother hopefully (laughs) understands (laughs) that that child gets the last cookie. (laughs) She may struggle a moment, but a good mother loves sacrificially and serves willingly no matter how tired and exhausted and inconvenienced that mother may be a good mother serves willingly and where do we get this from mothers we get this straight from the heart of god matthew 20 28 says just as the son of man jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many John 10, 18, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. Jesus came to serve willingly and to love sacrificially, even laying down his own life, his time, his agenda, his goals, his dreams, his program, his wishes, his comfort, his conveniences. He laid it all down. And a good mother will do that when necessary for her children because she models the heart of God. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. A good mother will model that sacrificial giving and willing service to her children. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the wonderful God that you are to us. I thank you, Lord, that you more than make up for everything we lack and have lacked in our lives. Whether it's the protection of a father or the nurture of a mother. God, you are our all in all. You are everything we need and will ever need. So, Lord, I pray again, first of all, for the mothers here once more, that we would model that loving, serving heart of God to our children, that we would be that safe place for them, that mother hen with her wings outstretched. And I pray that you would comfort our hearts when we're crushed and grieved, and that you would give us wisdom for the children you've placed in our lives, both adult and young children. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are most committed to their growth, and we can trust you with them as you sit as the refiner of silver and gold in their lives. We can trust you. You haven't left the job You have not left off with that refining process. Your eyes are still on our children, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray today that we would all be reminded of your tender, loving care toward us, your children. How you love. How you long to comfort. How you long to nurture us. How you run toward us even when we fail. How your heart yearns for us. God, help us not to grieve you. Help us to look at your sacrifice you made for us on the cross. You were there in your son, Jesus, pouring out your life for us. God, I pray that today we would look at that afresh and anew and say, yes, I will not grieve the heart of God. I will not frustrate the grace of God. As obedient children, I will fashion my life according to your will and your plan so that I may fulfill every last Hope that you have for me, Lord. Let that be our cry. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.